to another episode of the ozone podcast the voice of magic fans today today's episode um we have the five of us today al justin wit mark myself anthony and we were kind of going back and forth of how we wanted to to start the episode and obviously today's episode the tone is different everyone's heard about you know what what went on with, with the late great kobe bryant and it only feels right if we started this episode kind of just talking about our our personal perspective of Kobe and our our experiences and and share a little bit about the great eight and twenty four the man himself. Um, I know for for me and I'll I'll kick this off. Um, as a as a diehard Magic fan, I've been following the Magic since I was I was a little kid. And when you're a Magic fan, there's three teams you absolutely dislike. It's the Celtics, it's the Miami Heat, and it's the Los Angeles Lakers. And through this whole entire, um, you know, this this last couple of days, it, it kind of had me thinking. Throughout Kobe Bryant's whole entire career, I didn't care for him as a player. He was great. He was an amazing player. But I was a Magic fan. You know, he gave us a lot of heartbreak, right? Took away Shaquille O'Neal, won a championship on our home court, had that really big dunk over Dwight Howard, welcome to the league. And it's one of those things where I I regret a lot because I didn't get the opportunity to really uh, take advantage of embracing what he was or appreciating the type of player that he was. I truthfully didn't become a fan until after he retired. That's where I, I started listening to him a lot more because he was so motivational, the way he was with his family, um, everything that he had to say about the game. You know, he reached out to every almost every single player that got injured reached out and gave some type of positive quote and it's 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 crazy because the the voice is now different you know if if you really didn't follow basketball like that if you really didn't follow Kobe Bryant still the whole incident still kind of hurt you bad you know it, my wife who really doesn't follow basketball the way that I do you know she she was impacted by it uh, co-workers at work the exact same way people that didn't know anything about basketball it still impacted him and it changed the way that our perspective is, whether it be on life, whether it be, you know, how we view things. You know, so much is coming from from this that, you know, it's, it's extremely sad. But in some weird way, you can kind of tell that it's it's changing a lot of people in positive ways. Definitely um, tough to hit and, and soak in and. I will tell you, um, I wasn't a Kobe fan until 2008. And and leading up to that was uh, 
the great T-Mac versus Kobe battles. And um, I always thought if head-to-head, I thought T-Mac was a better player, better scorer, better defender because of his size and strength. But um, what made me become a fan of Kobe is watching him in the Olympics in 2008. And he evolved from, uh, you know, kind of a self um, score and, and will his way into becoming a true teammate and learning how to make his teammates better. And also, um, you know, learning how to take a team on his shoulders that's, you know, was had a bad name at the time that needed to rebound back and they needed someone to have on court leadership to bring that core together. And then I, you saw him make plays when the offense shut down. You saw him make some defensive stances and, and I would tell you like, man, I can't hate on this guy no more. Like you, like he's the real deal. He's next level. And you know what? I have respect for him now, but before that I, I really, I was like, all right, Kobe, another great score. One, you know, all the hype train. I'm not a big hype train guy. So See, then see him come back and, and and some of you guys know my seats are pretty close to the way bench and you know prior to that I would say stuff to him and he wouldn't acknowledge but towards the end of his career he would uh, acknowledge back and kind of talk to the fans more and um and, and one last story before we, we pass it around um a couple months before we retired uh, I was sitting next to him and said Kobe and I, I, I can't remember all the words but it was like Kobe you got a young team those legs aren't aren't what they used to be. You got a title, you know. You know, it's time to turn the page, man. You know, we'll still love you. We'll still be here. And he looked at me, smiled, and laughed. And he goes, "We'll see about that." And then after the game, he left from the arena, dressed as he was, walked down with no security, nobody, down Church Street to the hotel, and signed every autograph he could, took every picture he could. And before he got to the hotel, he was probably on, on church street, probably an hour. And I'm, I can't believe there's no videos that popped up about that. But uh, that, I mean, that was a special moment for Orlando and, and kind of showed his character and how he matured and um, became the ambassador. And, and I, I, I want to say that Olympics was a big turning point for his career. I mean, it feels like uh, we're all repeating ourselves here with, with the magnitude of his loss, obviously. Um, and, and another thing, I feel like we all feel like we're, we were never fans of Kobe Bryant, uh, the player while he was playing um, up until the later stages. So I don't want to repeat the same thing as, as you all said, but similar story with me. As a Vince Carter fan, I always they always went at each other the first few years. It was the who's the next Michael Jordan type of mentality, right? And I always felt Vince Carter was better. Obviously, Kobe wound up being the, the ultimate better player. Um, but similar to you guys, my respect for him came later on as I saw him developing into a leader uh, of the young Lakers team, the Olympics team, even post-retirement, that's when I really appreciated who he was, the leader that he was, how hard he worked. Um, he really led by example. Um, the closest thing we've ever had to Michael Jordan, that's the reality of, of who he was. Um, and in all reality, I've lost many people in my life. Some way, somehow, Kobe's impact, when I first found out about the news, was the biggest. Like, I literally froze. I, I cannot think the same. My whole Sunday just uh, changed. I was with my family in Universal, having a good day. After that, it all changed. Um, so it's amazing how as a basketball player that I never knew, I never met in person, the impact he had in all of our lives, not only as basketball players, uh, basketball fans, but just simply as a human being, uh, who he became in his career later on. Uh, again, it, it's unfortunate. Uh, nobody would have ever imagined Kobe Bryant gone at age 41. That it's, you would have told me that, I would have said, you're lying right now. Um, unfortunately, that's life. We, we all learned something from that moment. Uh, we just, all as a team here, saw Shaq speak about um, Kobe 
And the big takeaway is do not take anything for granted. Uh, unfortunately, it took this to happen for us to realize that many times. It, it needs to be something tragic for us to appreciate things in life. And I mean, definitely uh, a huge takeaway with, with Kobe passing away. Um, the world lost a, a great human being, that's for sure. For me as a Magic fan, um, I never hated Kobe at all. I know he disappointed us a lot, you know, NBA Finals and throughout, you know, Magic history. Um, but it's it's very tragic. Yesterday, you, you, I hear the news, and just like everybody, you don't believe it, right? You know, it's crazy. And then you see multiple reports come out, and uh, it wasn't even the same watching basketball yesterday. Just watch it, or Sunday, the Magic games or anything like that. You know, it, it wasn't the same. It, the air wasn't the same. Obviously, the players and coaches weren't the same, and you felt it. Waking up Monday morning, I before I got ready for work, I just sat on my bed and just stared at my wall like, is this for real? Um, but I've always respected Kobe's, um, you know, mentality for the game. Um, nobody was a leader like him. Nobody worked as hard as him. Um, nobody approached, you know, practice like him, you know. So that was one of the things that always stood out for me as Kobe. And a lot of young players should look at him as a role model as far as, like, you know, what it takes to be a great NBA player, to be a, a leader. And then nothing more than most, um, a great father to his kids, you know. Everybody's seen how close he was to his daughters, um, how great of a husband he was, how great of a – a daddy was just in general a great friend to a lot of these NBA players that you know show a lot of emotion these last few days. So he was a great player, but he was a better person. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with um, <clears throat> with everything you guys said. My perception of Kobe was different because I didn't grow up a Magic fan. I grew up a Knicks fan. Um, so you know, I was a fan of the Knicks during the Charlie Ward. You, you said that once already. Yeah, the Charlie <laughs> Ward, Allen Houston um, years, Latrell Sprewell. Um, and then, you know, moving forward was like Carmelo Anthony and whatnot. Um, my cousin was the biggest Kobe Bryant fan ever, which was weird because we grew up in New York and um, he lived in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And whenever we would go to his house or his apartment, literally when you walked into his room was Lakers. Everything um, had even a like a like a Kobe, like Lakers backboard. If we played 2K, you couldn't play as the Lakers. Like that was his team. Uh, So I always admired Kobe. Um, I I don't think I understood who Kobe was necessarily until later in life. Um, Understood his impact, understood his selflessness, his his willingness to, you know, help players become better than he was. Um, And obviously this was after he was in the league because while he was in the league, you weren't going to be better than him. You weren't going to play harder than him. Um, And that's, you know, all things that you guys covered. But I knew from a young age that Kobe was special and just being around my cousin and seeing his appreciation for for Kobe Bryant made me appreciate him as well. And on Sunday, um, when you guys messaged me and and my sister texted me and told me about Kobe and I, I thought it was a lie, I couldn't believe it. Um, the first person I thought about calling or texting was my cousin because I knew that if anybody was going to take this hard, obviously he's not Kobe's family or anything like that, but it was him because he he idolized Kobe. Right. And um, when I texted him, he literally texted me back and said, bro, I can't stop crying. So that was just that that to me showed how impactful Kobe's legacy was. Yeah, and he made an impact on the culture. Think about it. How many times have you thrown a, a, a rolled up piece of paper in the trash can and yelled, Kobe? You know what's right? funny? I, I did that the night before I went to bed. It was my wife and I were about to lay in bed for, for the night. 
and I had a shirt or something that I had in my hands. And, and I, I just throw it to bed. I'm like, oh, Kobe, like, it's just natural. I've done that my whole life. But it's funny you mentioned that because just the yeah. night before, uh, we were watching the whole LeBron passing Kobe that night. And just naturally, that, that just happened. Um, it's crazy. I mean, I, I have the debate at least once a year um, of, you know, I still have the debate till this day about who is better, Tracy McGrady or Kobe Bryant. And it's always with like the the handful right. of Laker friends that I have. Right. And to this day, like I'll, I'll still fight it. Right? Oh yeah, I will too. Till this day, I'll still I mean, do it. Kobe had a had a squad around him. Don't let it get full of you. And 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 then T Mac was still playing, and they were throwing different bodies at T Mac. Remember, like you know, Rick Fox would guard him. Then oh yeah, they they switched up all the time to slow him down. But still, you know. About Kobe, but it just reminds you that you know that was, that was at a time frame where you know it's the heart and hustle era. Trace McGrady was kind of leading everything on it on his shoulder with with Daryl Armstrong, and when Kobe Bryant came to Orlando, it there was respect for the Orlando oh, yeah. Magic. Like he knew that oh, he had a he had a you know go to the gym, get some shots up, get a good night's rest because he was going against Trace McGrady. So you know there was there was a, definitely a lot of um, really good memories around it. Um, it, it's really sad to hear, you know, everything that happened with with the nine individuals, including his daughter, because that's a big deal. I was watching um, right. uh, a clip on Jimmy Kimmel where he was having an interview, and Jimmy Kimmel asked Kobe Bryant, um, "Does does your daughter want to be um, Gigi? Does your daughter want to be a WNBA player?" And he was like, "Absolutely, of course, she absolutely does." And he starts telling the story about how when he's out and about. Um, fans will come up to him and say, "Hey, you, you and your wife, you know, you guys need to have, you guys need to have a boy to to carry on the legacy." And he would say that his daughter would interrupt him and say, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, he doesn't need a boy. He got me. I got this. <laughs> I love that." And you know, and Trace McGrady mentioned multiple times on how her mannerisms and you know just the way that she played basketball was very similar to Kobe Bryant. And it's he was he was such he was a person definitely post. I mean, I'm sure he he did a lot while he was playing, but post career, you know, he he attended a lot of WNBA games, really supported a lot of the players. Just recently, he had an interview where he was saying that he felt there's two or three players out in the WNBA right now that are skillful enough to play in the NBA. So he was a very very big big um, uh, a person that pushed the WNBA culture and you know just on different aspects from youth to women basketball to men basketball he was such a big voice and it's just um award winner books uh, yeah he, movies a Grammy I mean, award Grammy winner that I mean yeah. come on that's that's, he's, that's special uh, my wife my wife um yesterday when we were at the gym she was listening to Pandora and um on the way out of the gym Destiny Child was was on on it featuring Kobe Bryant I didn't even know they had a song together so it, it's just insane how how crazy this guy was everywhere it wasn't just yeah. on the hardwood it, it was it was everywhere yeah so much so that he even touched, you know, two of our young guys, Markel and AG. This summer, we're at the Mamba Academy working with Kobe, trying to develop their game and become better. Um, Kobe just brought that hunger, brought that desire for people to want to be the best version of themselves. And I think that's that's how you carry on his legacy, no matter what it is that you do. Um, and it's going to sound cliche, but approach it with Mamba mentality. That's right. Yeah. It's been a tough year for the NBA, right? David Stern. David Stern. David Stern. You know, I mean, it's been a tough year. So, wow. So, you know, say a prayer for the NBA. That's right. So definitely condolences from, from us and to the nine individuals that were part of that um, helicopter accident. Um, it's it doesn't get it doesn't get easier. It hasn't gotten easier for for any of us in the mm-hmm. media. 
Um, it, it breaks my heart seeing, especially the the players that we're so accustomed to, like listening to Shaquille O'Neal, Tracy McGrady, you know, former right. Magic players that you know they were so close to him that you know it really hurt them internally. So, right. um, you know, it's a sad day for sure. Kobe is a legend, and legends never die, right? That's the truth. Um, but let, let's get into Magic basketball. Um, so currently, right now, let's let's get into the numbers. So record. As of today, we are sitting at 21 and 27, still holding the seventh seed in the East. Offensively, points per game, we're holding down the 29th place in the NBA with 103.5. Three-point percentage, we're sitting at 28th in the league with 33.4. Offensive rating, 26th in the league at 105.1. Defensively, points allowed, we're leading the NBA right now, 104.7. Blocks per game, we're sitting at 6 with 5.8. And defensive rating, Ninth in the NBA at 106.7. This past week, we had uh, quite a handful of games. Start off at Monday against Charlotte, a win 106-83, followed by Wednesday's game against Oklahoma City, 120-114 loss. Friday against Boston, 109-98. Uh, something that kind of kind of pissed me off about that game was there was uh, out. I wasn't at the game, but just the reports that I've read on Twitter that there was so many Boston fans there, and they were chanting the Celtics. And that's been since the first game in the old old uh, arena. Yeah, it's just I don't even know, man. It's worse than the Lakers game. Like it was insane. The amount of green shirts, the amount of noise. And you couldn't beat it. Like, Magic fans try to fight against it when the game was interesting, and you couldn't. And, you know, it, it's, it makes it tough on the players just because the minute that you feel as if you don't have home court advantage on your home court, it does mess with you mentally. Basketball is such a mental game that you can't just block the noise out no matter how hard you want to. Anyone that's ever played basketball knows that maybe you can't pinpoint that one person individually, but you still pay attention. You can still hear the noise and whatnot. And... Orlando is obviously the the culture is not exactly the same. Boston just has a way heavier culture, right? They've been in the NBA for what I, I think when I researched it was 50, 60 years compared to, you know, our 30 years. So it's one of those things where Orlando is such a transitional city where so many people move to Orlando. So you, you, it's it's common to see the, the Heat fans at our games, the Knicks fans at our games, uh, the Laker fans at our games. But at the same time, numbers are on our side. We have way more fans at the arena, more so than these other teams. And it just doesn't feel like we show up as we should. So I think it begs the question, do we have more fans at the arena or do we have more people at the games? Like, it, I think there's a lot of people that go to Magic Games because they've never been. They have an opportunity to go and it's something new, uh, not necessarily because they're passionate about the team. Uh, and I think that's that's the difference. Um, just talking about how long, you know, referring to what you said about how long the Celtics were a team that gives them such a head start in, in developing a culture of people who follow and, and support them, um, because that's generations of children who grew up with their parents being Celtics fans. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case here. Uh, but I, I don't think that's an excuse. I think it's, that's all the more it's reason. changing. I mean, this podcast existing is an example of that, right? Mm-hmm. So I think a, there's a lot of Orlando fans, but we're their secondary team. Boston's mm-hmm. their primary team, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's what happens when these, you know, the these I would say banner teams come through our arena, uh, the more established, you know, 
teams that come through the arena, we have uh, we have like all right, you know, back to being the Boston. But I mean, it could be due to the product that we have on the floor too. I mean, ten years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation about you know when we were actually relevant in the East. You know, we wasn't really questioning. Oh no, no, I was we wasn't there. Questioning so I, 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 I wanted to ask you that because yeah. I went to the games. You know? in, I lived in Boston back then, right. or near Boston. So when. The Eastern Conference Finals back in 09 yeah. when, when Vince was here and Dwight. Yeah. How was the crowd here? Was it mostly Celtics fans in the crowd? It, it's a very deep mix. Um, and it, it is tense. And I would tell you, I mean, it's not something to be proud of, but in the streets, things got a little rough. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. after the games, win or lose, is something was going to happen. So but there's, see, there's that, passion there. But that sucks, too, because in the playoffs, you would think in the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, you're going to the finals and you got a team coming here. You're the home team. Yet... The supporters are 50-50, 60-40. That's tough. It's you saw it with too. Right, this year, Toronto. Yeah. Right? Did, anybody, did you guys go to any of those games by chance yeah. get in there? Yeah. It was a, there's a pretty heavy Toronto presence in there. And True. that's just, the, I would tell you the worst when it came to playoffs and, and fans was Detroit. When the, when we were going against Detroit, it was tough. I mean, I mean, you, you can, they're walking around the stadium just chanting, you know, if I, I don't know even what to say, it gives me just, it gets me going. The, you know, wow. basketball, like, oh gosh, I, that just rings through my head. But you, you don't want to feel like, it feels as if the average fan, they're more fans of specific players more so than teams. In right? the right? modern, modern, today, modern, NBA, modern, right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you're a fan of Steph Curry, if you're a fan of, um, Kawhi Leonard, if you're a fan of uh, Kevin Durant, right. right? You're they're rooting for those teams, they're rooting for those players, and that's that's where the mix really happens, right? But the minute that you up your talent of the team and you have that specific player, then it kind of changes a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's right, that's why when you're in the playoffs, it's a little different atmosphere because it's the playoffs. Your team is doing well, your team is playing good, you're in the top 16 of the NBA where it's playoff atmosphere and right. and that's where the the percentage kind of goes a lot lower that's where you start to hear the the magic drowning out the other right. names of the teams so what fears me is a team like Miami that they're so close to us let's say that we see them in in the first round of the playoffs oh, is it going to almost feel as if they have home court advantage every single game i think i, won't I mean that's a good point that's a good point but i I don't think so because I, I when was it last year the home opener last year I think was against the yeah. Heat um, and I didn't go to the game but I was in the area because I went to a Orlando City um, game against Seattle for my birthday and um, around just looking around the arena um, there were there were Heat fans right? but it felt different like the Magic fans were Happy. I don't know if it was because it was the season opener or whatnot. Right. Um. But it, it it felt as if we understand that this is a rivalry game. You're not gonna come into our house and be louder than well, us. Well, the Heat missed the playoffs last year, and mm-hmm. we got in, and uh, so we're we got that optimism going, and we want to keep that energy going. That's that's what you felt. Uh, I mean, Knicks coming to town, same thing, and and, and culturally, and they're terrible. Right. Right. That, that's the part. That's the part that I'm, they're terrible, and right. yet you still have so many Knicks fans that show up rooting for them, and they suck. They're bad. <laughs> right. They have such a bad product on the floor. They have bad okay, ownership. So, so obviously, and they suck. And it's not a Knicks fan, but um, I think just going back to to what I said, the the Knicks are 
a team in a heavily populated, right? One of the den- yeah. most dense populated places on planet Earth. So obviously there's going to be more Nick fans than any other. Maybe right. not the Lakers, obviously, because California, L.A., Southern California. The Knicks are like the Dallas Cowboys in the NFL, right? Kinda. Yeah, I guess, I guess you yeah. could say. Well, yeah. they, don't have, they don't have the winning everywhere. pedigree, but... As far as the as fandom, far as, this everywhere, and it's supported yeah. whether they win or lose. They yeah. mostly lose, so it's is there. Um, but yeah, man, I think I think the fans have to do a better job at being vocal when they go to games, and don't just sit. I never, and this is not me wanting to criticize, over criticize, or whatever. But I've never understood going to a game and just sitting silently in your seat. Right. Oh what, well, the, the, the security the makes me be silent now. <laughs> but uh, uh, um, but there was also when when the culture really started growing with the, with the, with the magic, and we can move on from here. It there used to be the upper bowl versus the lower bowl, right? The upper bowl was always the loudest, you know, fans of there was the lower bowl were like felt as a hooty tooty to be seen kind of crowd and. You know they're there to watch the game and and enjoy the time. Still feels like that. It, it well it it does it does it does definitely definitely does. When I went and the, after this we could move on to the rest. But when I went to the Magic versus the Rockets game this year, um, I think it was like mid December. Up in the two hundred section, right, the people were so loud. So there was a guy sitting like by the ozone sign, right. You heard his voice coming from back there, and he was like. Russell Westbrook, you suck. I'm sitting too high up. You can't kick me out of the game. Like, just crazy things like that. And it's like, man, if you had that energy in the lower bowl, I think things could change a little bit. Well, I mean, it it happens. Not not for nothing, right? That was you. It could. No. (laughs) It might have been out. Not for nothing, but it could also be that the the upper bowl is more louder because it takes a louder voice for them to hear it on the court. But that's neither here or there. But finishing up for the uh, rest of the week, we had Clippers 112-97 loss and Monday game against Miami 113-92 loss. This was yesterday's game. Jumping into the juice. So interesting because this kind of caught me by surprise. The Magic did not re-sign Gary Clark. Crazy. They called up Vic Law crazy i thought he did really well i thought he was a player that you plugged him in immediately without really having enough time to understand the plays the plays and and you had him work with a couple coaches you put him in that game against the lakers and he comes out and he's active so we didn't ask for much scores 10 points scores 10 points first shot of the game a three-point attempt he didn't make it but he he took a three-pointer on a team that he just joined 24 hours he was he was active and he was effective right the next game, he didn't do all that well, but he was still a player that you could have plugged in at the forward position and contribute. And the fact that we didn't re-sign him and we brought up a player like Vic Law, it's a little confusing to me. It's a little disappointing. We don't like guys who can shoot, man. We like guys with long arms, right? That's what the organization is about. We had a shooter, man. The guy who would come in and knock down a few threes. We got rid of him. He came from the Houston system where he's not afraid to shoot. Like, he's open, he's shooting. In, and he was doing that. He was making them, too. Um, that was a mind-boggling move to me. Like, I don't understand where that came from or why we wouldn't pick him he up. He had what we needed. Unless, and this is where it gets into some of the trade deadline talk, we are about a week and a half now, right? The deadline. I think they want to have that spot open in case something happens. And I wouldn't be surprised if the trade doesn't happen, if they bring him back They up. bring him back. Yeah. yeah. So that may be something that they talk internally. But 
still, we're playing meaningful games right now that we're losing, and we're playing Cam Birch, who cannot shoot past three feet. Um, I need to look his pride the floor. Wait, and I don't know if we, we were planning on talking about Cam Birch later on in the episode, but Al brought it up, so we're addressing it now. Cam <laughs> Birch, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people talking about Cam Birch can't do this offensively, can't do that. This past week, the effort that I've seen from Ken Birch has been superior to everybody on the roster. Oh, no doubt. No, no doubt. doubt. Creating second chance opportunities, third chance opportunities, literally throwing himself in the way to grab rebounds and fight for rebounds. You know, like we can we can have a conversation about his offensive skill set and that would be a separate conversation. But on a team where effort is an issue, right, especially fighting for second and third chance buckets, Kembridge is doing what he's there to do. He's being paid a million dollars on a one-year contract with, a, I think, a one-year player option. He's not there to be a franchise-defining player. He's there to be a guy who gets down in the paint, dirty, you know, f- gets fouled, takes hits, takes hacks, and, and gets the team more opportunities to score. So, so I'm glad that you brought that up because on Hoops Habit, they actually came out with an article today, and the question that they asked was is Kem Burst the Magic's most tradable asset? I say yes, and this is why. So if you have a team that's surrounded by shooters, he's in there, he's a defensive presence in the lane. Um, you know, so he helps some of those guards who are a defensive uh, liability. He can back up an, an aging bigger center. You know he's gonna bring energy every game because he's been consistent about that. And on, on top of that, you know, he doesn't need to be the primary scorer. He knows his role. So if you have a, a, a scoring team around it, like, you know, it's almost like OKC with uh, with uh, Adams, right? Adams, yeah. You know, he would fit into a system like that. But to me, Ken Birch is more of a when we when we talk about tradable asset. If you're trading Ken Birch straight up for another player, what are you really getting in return? Right. right. He would have to be someone that you add on as an additional package. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're the other team, who would you? rather have as that additional package a player like him birch or more like a wesley awandu see my my thing is i think i think we shouldn't get rid of awandu i think um i think we've seen signs and i think awandu could become a really good player um in this league but the one thing about birch is he's a low cost mid-level player I don't I don't see why a team would trade him. It doesn't cost you well, compared to anybody else's contract. It doesn't cost you anything to have him on your roster. And he's going to give you effort bringing in bring in energy, create second chance opportunities. To me, that's not a guy you trade. So for me, um the criticism with Ken Birch has kind of been funny, right? We we didn't really hear about Ken Birch criticism when he's playing the 5. We all now we hear it now that he's playing the 4. And that's not really his fault. You know, that goes down to the coaching staff. You know, you're playing with him with Mobamba with Vooch, you know, which normally he's always playing the five. And then whoever's at the four is either Jonathan, Isaac, or Gordon. So you normally have a shooter at the four position with him. But now lately he's playing the four position next to uh, Bamba and Vooch. So I think the criticism should tone down with him because I don't think that's all his fault. He is being put in a tough position where he's starting in these games and he's at the four position is limiting you know, that lineup for us. So at the end of the day, it's, it's true what Justin said. Ken Birch is doing a lot more than we're, we're, we are um, observing. Um, his efforts, it's nowhere near what everybody else is playing. And 
for him to be the most tradable asset, I get it because um, some Magic players would say he's a very respectable player for our franchise. And I think, again, we, we cannot question the, the effort. I think the effort mm -hmm. is there. We know that. And I love watching him play. Him and Carter Williams, to me, are the most fun basketball players on the Magic roster right now to watch play because they'll give it to you 120% every night. Mm -hmm. As you guys mentioned, though, he's playing the forward position for us right now. Um, I wouldn't have an issue at all if you say, hey, let's trade Vucevic and let's play Birch at the five while Bamba gets there in a year and a half. But let's add a shooter to the lineup. So yeah. now you have a, you have some offense coming from the, the backcourt. I'll be perfectly fine with that. Where some of my criticism comes from is you play him at the four. A lineup of Vucevic, Gordon at the three, Birch, Falls, who really can't shoot that well just yet. What's that going to give you? What we've seen the last week, 95 points a night. And that's great on a game where you can play 100% amazing defense. But when you play against teams like the Clippers, the Celtics, the Heat, that lineup is not going to get it done. Uh, and that's where, again, the issues come about. Uh, to answer the question, I think he has some value in the league. You could always have a guy that's low cost, who can play hard, who can rebound and block shots. There's always a, a place in the roster like that. Um, you add a pick to someone like that, you may get a young guy that can score. And that's what this team needs. Um, so, I mean, to answer the question, I, I don't know if he's the most valuable one right there. Well, he definitely has value in the I, league. I guess ultimately what I'm saying is if everybody else was picking up their scoring load, we wouldn't even be batting an eye at Cambridge playing the four. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to but do when you, because if you got him playing the four, you can now double team Fournier, double team Vooch, because who else is going to shoot? Gordon that's not necessarily true because if he plays and he's trailing and he runs into he runs into the paint, that's an open bucket. But you're the watching paint. the games lately, right? So if you're watching yeah. the games right now, you got Fournier who scored three threes in a row. Great game. Now the offense says the defense says, "Hey, let's go double team him." Vooch can hit a shot to save his life right, right now. Right, but you just you just said it. So it's not it's not the fact that Birch can't score at a high clip. It's the fact that everybody's not carrying their weight offensively. So when a team decides to switch and double team on somebody, but, no one else is scoring. Because yeah. guess what? If Vooch was playing the way that he typically does play, right? If they double teamed Evan, what would happen? Vooch would tear them like eat them alive in the paint that would be that would be how the game would work out but because Vooch is struggling so you have limited offense at center you have limited offense at small forward because AJ's playing there if Evan struggles if Evan scores anything less than 25 points a game you lose but that's not I don't think Birch starting or not starting makes a difference you would still lose because you're asking one or two guys to carry the offensive load of an entire team. It just changes the whole defensive dynamic to me. If you go into a game knowing that four is playing and he cannot shoot, Fultz is playing, he cannot shoot that well. You, just, you just stay at home. Exactly. Just stay around the You've perimeter. seen a lot of teams lately playing zone defense against us. Who in the NBA plays zone defense? Nobody. But against us, they're doing it because they know Can't Gordon's open, well. whatever. Birch is open, who cares? Fultz is open, who cares? So now it's like... I care. Well, and you have care, three right? of those guys <laughs> in one lineup. But now, exactly. Yeah. And then off the bench, who do you have? I mean, I think, and I, I think that's what makes the whole trade deadline so, so interesting. Like, there's so much hype around it, especially for. Uh, I'm sure it's like that for all organizations, but for us, we know that we desperately need something. I think at one point or another, the players know that they desperately need something. Either they feel that. You know, they individually need to change of scenery for certain players, or they need some additional help. I think that 
Nikola Vucevic is struggling, it could be a lot of different things. It could be the schedule of the teams that he's playing against. It could be that he's, you know, it's, it's midway through the season and he's still a- aching from injuries and not being reported, but that could be an issue. Mm-hmm. His shot isn't falling. He needs some additional help. He I don't he think needs Vuce, he needs rest, but I don't think he should be our primary guy. I agree. And I also think that this expectation that Terrence Ross has to come off the bench and give us 30 points for us to be relevant in a, in a competition is unfair. It, yeah. it creates an unfair um, dialogue surrounding Terrence Ross. And I know we weren't talking about T. Ross, but I wanted to bring it up because I feel like Terrence Ross, whether he's putting up the same three-point numbers that he put up last year or not, um, to me is irrelevant because he's another guy that, what are we paying him? Like eleven million a year, ten and a half? Thirteen ish. Thirteen ish? Yeah. Okay. And we could check on those numbers, but Terrence Ross again should not be your primary scoring option. And you bringing him off the bench and expecting him to just go three after three after three after three without running set plays for him, right? And putting him in positions to score is another way where it's like, yeah, he's getting the criticism because you're looking at the you're watching the game and you're seeing him miss. But it, it, it goes so much deeper than just individual players not playing to their capacity. So, so are, you, are you saying it's the way that we're utilizing him in terms of yes. just focusing so much offense on him from the second string or him just not starting? I think Terrence Ross, I think Terrence Ross believes that he can play the six-man role because that's what he's always played, right? And he's never been a guy who... Is um, who plays outside of himself and says, "I deserve more minutes. I deserve more ball, ball touches, or I deserve plays to be ran for me." But when you look at his game and you look at how he's developed, you see he's a little more comfortable with dribbling the ball. He's taking mid-range shots more often than he did last year. That's a guy who I think, you know, if I was if I was a head coach and I look at my lineup and I'm like, mm, my starting shooting guard is struggling, or my starting small forward is struggling. I would say, you know what? Let me let me just try something. Just one game. Let me put Terrence Ross in the starting lineup. See how that works. He's a rhythm kind of guy. You need he needs to be in there getting minutes. That's why, you know, like oh, he gets criticism for putting up junk shots, but for him that's not a bad shot. Mm-hmm. But he needs a guy that needs to put some shots up and and to create that offense. But he, he we totally don't utilize. Do you him think? Enough. Do you think that Terrence Ross can thrive in a starting role for the Orlando Magic? I think we tried that before in the past. Didn't I think try, it, I want to say we tried it last season, I, and, I think it was and he had he had a a bad streak. Like was, he wasn't shooting well. I can't remember if it was last season or the season before. But some players come off it. the bench better, right? Yeah. So they can feel the flow of the game by watching it, and then they come in, they're impactful. And he's one of those guys, like like a Mono Ginobili, who can come off the bench and and be impactful, right? Not comparing them at, by any means, but offensively. He is completely underutilized. I just feel like with all these injuries that, that we've gone through, man, like that starting lineup, I said it when Isaac went down. The logical move would have been you start Ross at the three and Gordon stays at the four. Now you have all the shooting and all this athleticism in the lineup with faults, but then we got Birch instead in the lineup, which again, again, not a bad player. Just in today's NBA, you can't run a lineup like that. You just can't. Now, what do you? how do you fix the bench? That's the next question. You pick up a damn free agent that can shoot. I mean, it's not that hard, but our our team just doesn't do that. You got a, a guy like Jody Meeks out there who kills us when he plays against Jody us. Jody Meeks played on this team already. Oh, I know that. But what can he do? <laughs> what can he do, though? He can shoot the three. What can Ross do? Shoot the three. So you, you just fill that. 
I know we talked about Jamal Crawford a million times in this podcast. I'm not going to go there, but that would be a logical move. Ross starts, pick up a Jamal Crawford type of guy. Heck, I'll go there again. Play BJ Johnson of the two. Give this kid a shot to get some shots up. Just just get some shots up. That's what we need. A guy that can just shoot shoot threes. Um, so I think the fall really falls on our coaching staff, on our front office, not adjusting to what's happened to our team. Um, and shout out to Terrence Ross, who um, they reported earlier today that he is changing his number in honor of Kobe Bryant from eight back to 31, which for me, honestly, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I get that initially he had changed the number um, from my understanding it was for his son, yeah. number eight. Um, I think for a basketball player, your number is such a big, massive deal. It's your confidence. It's Oh, I think I know what Ant's about to say. I I he needs that number back. Give I think that the minute the minute you give him back his thirty one, his shot is gonna we, light we it up. To, we need to track it because I honestly I believe that this is a scientific thing. So it will be fe- February first. February first. Yeah. I believe that the minute he gets his old uniform back, number thirty one, that his shooting is going to increase immediately. And I'm gonna help you out saying it doesn't. My betting record's that not good. That doesn't help. My betting, my betting <laughs> oh, record is go. not good, as we can see. So that's helping you out. I didn't, but but truthfully, my, yeah. my favorite number is is thirty two, all right. And I, yeah. I played basketball my whole entire life. I, I didn't. I wasn't crazy. I wasn't you know recruiting into the NBA or anything. Oh, yeah. But I know that if I didn't have my number, eh, you just felt a little off. Yeah, yeah. Some, that that little that little edge wasn't there. Yeah, right? no, I I believe you. Um, I was fortunate enough to play in college, and I didn't get the chance to choose my number in college. But I felt like changing my number to a different number it, it it didn't feel the same and didn't feel right but also wasn't in the program enough to really get comfortable with that you know so like I'm, i was used to being called hey number 30 my number was 32 also uh but hey 32 hey 32 and, and in college i was 52 hey 52 when are you gonna get put in you know like uh, i know i hear you but it just didn't <laughs> feel right you're right i think you're i think you're onto something and we'll we'll definitely track it i do feel bad however for the people some sitting at this table that bought a number eight Terrence Ross jersey. Um, hey, listen, and it didn't last longer than half a season. It's a throwback. It's, it's a throwback now. Yeah, but it's a you, throwback for a good reason. Yeah, it is one one hundred percent. And I, I actually, I'm, I'm a fan of of Spencer Dinwiddie for being the first one to mm-hmm. go on and do it. If the NBA doesn't want to do it. Hell, the, the players take advantage of it and and take the initiative to do it. You know, some players that, for example, Ken Birch says that. You know, he wears that number for his best friend um, in middle school that, you know, passed away in a car accident and whose favorite player at the time is Kobe Bryant, which is a reason why he wears 24, why he doesn't want to change his number and to each his own. But definitely, um, you know, big time for the NBA players that want to take that initiative. And, and Mark Cuban also that says that no other player on, on his Mavericks. team on the Mavericks would ever wear number eight and 24. Really big deal. That's yeah. awesome. For sure. Now, something that we saw that was really interesting on Orlando Magic Reddit, um, this was something that someone wrote, some words of encouragement. The Magic are currently tied for second of all teams in strength of schedule in games played thus far and have the 26th most difficult schedule remaining. What does this mean to you? A repeat of last year. Okay. That's exactly what I thought about. A repeat of last year. To to me, it doesn't mean a damn thing, to be honest. I think the Magic have proved this season that they lose to teams that they should not lose to. So us having the easiest 26th or the 26th most difficult schedule, so the fourth easiest schedule to close out the season, doesn't mean anything because we've lost to bottom 
10 bottom five teams anyway. So I think that the guys, whoever, whoever wrote this, hopefully the team, the guys on the team didn't read this and become complacent or, or, or let their guard down thinking that they're going to have an easy schedule. I think you have to play the, this last third or a little more than a third of the season um, as if you're playing all above 500 teams. Yeah, you got to play with some desperation. You got to you got to play with some hunger, and you have to win. And you got to play the turn doubters around. You know, you got to you got to play like, hey, I got heart, and 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 take the lessons that we just learned, and and put that forward. So, so to me, it means a lot for this fact. So, so far, the Magic this season, teams above five hundred were four and twenty-one. Teams below five hundred were seventeen and six. So if you're telling me we're going to play 30-ish games against teams below 500 and we're going to be healthier, hopefully, and, and pre- well-rested with the All-Star break, we only play one game this week, I'll take those odds. I mean, we, we have, we've shown we can beat teams with lower quality opposition out there. I'll take those odds. Now, what does it say? Well, can I get hurt again? Or, or what happens to the deadline? Who knows? But to me, that just means at least we have some games that we can go into thinking we're going to win those games. We played the Lakers twice, the Clippers twice, uh, Houston. We're almost done with Milwaukee. We're almost done with Milwaukee. So we went through a rough schedule. The Heat three times. Like, we've had a rough yeah, schedule. Yeah, but we still have to play Atlanta. We still have to play Miami. We still have to play Gold. No, we play Golden State twice. We're done. Yeah. They're done, too. Um, I don't know, man. I, I think that we should, according to statistics, we should be fine. And we should probably go on a run and, and win a lot of games. But if there's a team that can take this opportunity and throw it down the drain, we have to be realistic, honest, and say that the Magic are that team. The Magic are the most unpredictable team because you honestly don't know what you have when they step on the floor. They can can go toe-to-toe with the Lakers, and then they can lose to a team like the Suns. It's really the unknown. So does it give us a better chance? Absolutely. But it's just a matter of the – because it almost feels as if the team really isn't – cohesive you know where we're playing bad our shooting is bad our transition is bad everything the rotations is bad all across the board we're not playing well and what is it going to take for that to switch because it's not just one person we can't really sit there and say oh this is all evan's fault this is all aaron gordon's fault we can't say that is we're playing bad collectively and hopefully with the schedule it, it allows us to build momentum I this team desperately needs an All Star break. I hope that there are something in the works for the trade deadline because change needs to happen, whether it be a good change or a bad change, but something needs to happen. Now let's jump into our passer shoot segment. So I'm going to jump right into it with: Has a one do filled that gap left behind by Jonathan Isaac? No, no, not defensively, and I mean possibly scoring. But no, okay. So, <laughs> so wit is is passing. Yeah. Um. I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot. I'm gonna shoot. Um. The reason I'm shooting is because Jonathan Isaac was not an offensive player, right? There was maybe one or two games where he scored like 17 to like 23 points. Let's just say in that range. Um, I think a one do for a guy who came off the bench, who a lot of games the first quarter of the season didn't even play uh, I think he's he's played well uh, once he decided that or once he accepted that it was okay for him to take a shot and not always have to pass out I think he's he's contributed 
Uh, he's hit big threes defensively. I think he's brought energy and kind of in the same way that MCW does, um, where he's kind of more so a pest, um, pesky defender. Uh, so I'm a shoot. I think uh, a Wundu has been a good addition to this roster. One of the one of the only bright spots, in my opinion, to an offense that's been struggling. I'm passing because the question isn't has he been doing well in his absence, is has he filled the gap? Is he doing exactly what Jonathan Isaac has done? Granted, Jonathan Isaac isn't our best offensive player, but he's still an offensive threat. He can still put the is ball. Is he an offensive he, of threat? Of course he is, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You're going to tell me that you have Jonathan Isaac and you're not going to respect him offensively? Not saying that I'm not going to respect him offensively, but I'm not going to lose sleep about having to guard Jonathan Isaac on offense. I But How? John, so he he can shoot. He can shoot from the outside. He can penetrate. He can pass the ball. But he's still he he's can't, so, he he's can't so shoot. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying. That, I'm not saying. I'm not saying that he can shoot effectively. I'm not saying that he's shooting 45 percent from the three point line. But he's still going to take that shot, and you still have to contest it. You're not going to sit there and just let him shoot the three point shot. Okay. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. I see I, defenders I when, rushing out to Isaac, but not a Wando. And in fact, I don't even see Awanda really taking that many shots. He's he's scared off. Right, he's, and that's because Awandu has taken those shots, let's just say, within the last week and a half or so. But when I, when I think of what Jonathan Isaac did for the team, right, with the exception of being like a blocks leader in the NBA, I don't think that Isaac was a first, second, or third scoring option on this team. And neither is a one do. So when you bring in a player like that, um, when you when you lose a player like that, and then you need to bring someone in, I think you're looking for someone um, replacing Jonathan Isaac on the offensive end, someone who can give you between what six to nine, ten points a game. And I think a one do has done that. But he hasn't done it defensively. Is is he filling the gap? Not is he filling the gap offensively. It's filling the gap in general as a player. I think he has in different ways. I think you think of Jonathan Isaac as a shot blocker, and obviously that's not what a one do does. But I think a one do um, makes it harder for offensive to, offenses to score. Um, I think he gets in passing lanes, like I said, similar to MCW. Um, and I think he makes it, like I said, more difficult for an offense uh, to score. And he doesn't give up on plays either. So I I, I don't know. I, I it would be hard for me to say that um, that a one do hasn't filled the gap because. Orlando's still afloat, and while we have lost games, Awundu has hit big shots down the stretch. He's stolen the ball down the stretch and given us opportunities down the stretch, and I think that's similar to what Jonathan Isaac did, maybe at a slightly lesser capacity, but still playing a similar uh, game. My feelings for him have completely changed from where he is now compared to the beginning of the season. Beginning of the season, he was frustrating to watch. There are times that when he shoots the ball, I'm like, oh, don't do it, don't do it. And then it goes in. But I still remember you. <laughs> you weren't his I biggest re- fan. I knew I, that. I, yeah, <laughs> but I still remember you saying that you would trust your life to a one do an MCW over a Minu to shoot a, shoot a three ball. Do we not remember this? <laughs> that I remember true. that. That's my very first but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not changing that standpoint. We're you not, just we're not. said you just said whenever he shoots, you're like, no, no, no. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Works. Imagine how I feel when Chief shoots. <laughs> <laughs> it's way worse. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I listen. I'm, I may be hard on Wesley Awandu, but it's it's something that you know he he has stepped up when we needed to. We needed that that small three body. And he's been able to provide that for us. So the fact that we do have a player like that, that in all honesty, he was he was our second round pick. You know, he was he was someone that we really didn't expect to do much, 
and he's he's a valuable player. I've now. liked the one dude since he was drafted. Yeah, I, just, I just hope that the minute that we do get our healthy players back, whether it's this season, next season, um, when we have Jonathan Isaac back, that he's still able to contribute the way he's contributing now. I think Isaac makes an impact on the game when he's on the court. A Wandu doesn't. That's the difference. And has a Wandu made an impact when he's on the court? I don't, I don't think he's there. So in, in my case, I'm going to jump up for the shot and just pass the ball uh, midair. <laughs> um, so I can see both points you guys are making. But it, my honest take is he does not make you or break you when he's on the court, meaning he doesn't affect the game in a positive way or a negative way. Like, but he doesn't did turn Jonathan over. Isaac? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course. I mean, when you look, at, when you look at our win-loss record, when Jonathan Isaac was playing for this team, and since he hasn't been, there's literally like a two-game difference. No, no, of course. But what I'm saying is Isaac is on the court. I, the offensive team, it will not play the same way. Like, you know, you're going for a layup. You're worried that he's behind you. Um, so on the on the defensive end, he makes a humongous impact. What I've liked about Iwondo is he does not hurt you out there. Like he will not turn it over. He will not slack off on a play. If he's open, he's finally shooting the ball. He knows his role. He knows his role really well. He reminds me of Ken Birch. If Birch had a shot, <laughs> but I mean, he just plays the game in a safe in a safe way. Like he he will not hurt you out there. He is a, a Clifford player. Imagine a Wandu on a Golden State Warriors roster. Yeah, I think he yeah. would. Yeah, he, he seems yeah. like Incredible. such a Golden State Warrior yeah. type of player. So, like, so what I will say is, when Jonathan Isaac was playing, the criticism is that what for the first like ten games or something like that, we couldn't break a hundred points. Yes, but then that got fixed. So Jonathan fixed. Isaac is missing now, and for the but last week, be, we're still to struggling be, to make no, hundred no, points. To be fair, to be fair, we started hitting a hundred points with him still healthy yeah, yeah, and being yeah. on the roster. Mm, yeah. Okay. I mean, the whole December, we hit 100 points. It was that first 10 games that we struggled, but we got it going. Hot take alert. <laughs> I think as of right now, present version of Jonathan Isaac does not make or break our team. I think as of right now, Justin, you feel as if the team is better without Jonathan Isaac. No, no, no. Not better. Just not worse. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? What do you mean? Not better, but not no, worse. But right. But I feel like they break he, even. He's whether, filling the gap. He's agreed with that. Right. Yeah. So so whether Jonathan Isaac is there or not, okay. we're we're playing at so the we're same not, level. We're not we're not sinking. We're not going fast. We're just flowing. <laughs> I don't know, man. Honestly, yes. I feel like we're we're not respecting the improvement Isaac's made this year on the offensive floor. I mean, there's games where he's actually taken over the game. Um, that game at Atlanta Hawks was like his breakthrough game when he almost dropped. 30 points. Um, yeah, and that game we Awandu went to for Memphis. never take over a game. Isaac, I, I mean, he can't. At the end of the day, he's a seven-footer who can dribble the ball. He's a seven-footer who can still shoot the ball. But you're talking you're, you're talking about tangibles and what he can be. We're talking about what he has done and what Awandu is doing. Like, there's there's a difference. The it, it doesn't matter. So we could sit here and say, Jonathan Isaac, Isaac has all of the physical attributes to be one of the greatest players to ever play basketball. But what has he done, and how is the team doing now that he's not there? He's got a nickname, the Minister of the Defense. Minister. <laughs> yeah. Now this this episode will be our last episode before the NBA trade deadline. So oh, I thought time, you were going to say last episode ever. No, no. <laughs> so this will be the last episode before the NBA trade deadline. We won't record another episode till after that. So actually, we were going to talk about the trade deadline, but I think we've talked about that enough. We actually have some breaking news. So just now on Twitter by Oliver Maroney, 
he is reporting that he is being told that Aaron Gordon is planning to participate in this year's slam dunk contest. No. So wait, so is he planning or is he going to? It looks like it's not official, but that's what he was hearing. So if you remember, Aaron Gordon had told Chris Haynes um, about entering the season dunk contest last year on the podcast that he had. So he was talking about doing it in Chicago, was talking about Zach Levine and and Zion being in there and the whole nine. Um, So it's I find it interesting. I think it's a bad idea. Me too. Yeah, I think think it's a bad idea because his last slam dunk contest was a little embarrassing, like with the whole. But he was injured. Yeah, he was injured. I just, I was, it was kind of cringy for me. Um, But the fact that we have somebody representing the Orlando Magic in All-Star Weekend is a big plus because from my understanding, there hasn't been anyone else. It doesn't seem as if Vooch is going to get reselected for the All-Star game. And I'm actually really curious into seeing the dynamic of Dwight Howard versus Aaron Gordon. I just wish that if Aaron Gordon is going to be in it, then you have to include Zach Levine. Why would Aaron Gordon do it without Zach Levine being present? So, to me, I, I think it's a bad idea. Um, I think it's a bad idea because this team is um, performing, you know, subpar. And I think that everyone should be resting and focused to attack this what should be the second half of the season, although it's going to be less than that, mm-hmm. um, to ensure that we make you know, the playoffs. Um, I wouldn't want Aaron Gordon to go out there because, you know, to kind of, it is, it is a showcase. He is going to show off. That's what it's about. But I guess what I'm saying is I would hate Aaron Gordon have an injury, for example, trying to dunk, um, and sacrificing, you know, what could be the magic's postseason appearance. Um, I, I just, I think that there, there should be a, a priority list, and team successes should always come before individual successes. Um, I think Aaron Gordon should not participate in this year's dunk contest, and I know that that's probably going to be a hot take, um, but that's that's my two cents. I mean, I, I would like to see him compete in it again, but I, I don't think this is a year. Uh, I think he's got some negative injuries. You can see it in his mobility, um, and, and I don't think we need to have anybody going to Chicago, and, and we need to, to get some rest and heal up. I mean, the only thing is going to be representing in Chicago is those jerseys, right? Looking just like, just like some magic, some magic jerseys. But uh, yeah, Aaron, get some rest if you can. Uh, we'll still be behind it. And it'll also be interesting to see um, if Aaron Gordon's an Orlando Magic player going into All Star Week. Oh, he will be. He'll be. That'd be awkward. There's no way he'll, they'll trade him without Ji again playing right now. But my take on it is, um, it might be good for him. Imagine if he actually wins the dunk contest, all this just positive attitude around Gordon, all this positivism around him being this guy that won the contest. He might come back from that, and hey, I'm back. Do you think a Kobe tribute is happening? Do you think Kobe's passing is why AG is going to participate in the dunk contest? I think a lot of guys can. I mean, Dwight might do it because Dwight was his teammate. He's playing for the Lakers right now. Dwight was actually trying to convince Kobe into being yes. in one of yeah. his um, one of his. That is true. Dunks for sure. I'm going to go a totally di- different direction with this. You had mentioned that if he wins the dunk contest, it will be a positive thing for him. Yeah. I actually think him going to the All-Star game would be very bad, even if it was just a dunk contest. Why? He's going to be surrounded by all these All-Stars. Aaron Gordon has a big ego. He's going to want to come back to Orlando. He's going to want to be the guy. He already has that mentality of being the guy. 
He's going to want to come in. He's going to try to do a lot of things that's out of his character. We don't need that from Aaron Gordon, man. We need a lot more team play going on. You got a guy like Aaron Gordon being surrounded by these stars. I feel like he's going to just want to be the man when he comes back from a, an event like that, you know, surrounded by big stars. If this gets confirmed that he's going to be in the same contest 100%, then same dunk contest being hosted in my house. You're all invited. Uh, oh, here we come. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if he does do it, I'm going to get behind him and cheer him on, of course. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. For sure. If he gets hey. any, I want him to win. Yeah, of course. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah, so let, let's wrap this up. So final thoughts. Beat the Heat? I mean, uh, beat the heat. we can't Round be three. on a five-game losing Let me start streak. the chant. Let me start the chant. Beat the Heat. Beat the Heat. Beat the Heat. Beat the Heat. Oh, man. No, but uh, we, we can't go on a five-game losing streak. Uh, we need to beat them. Uh, we at the hometown this time? Uh, back yeah, yeah, Orlando. we're the home team. Yeah, um... I'm honestly going to take a loss with this one, but uh, we need to win this game, honestly. So you're choosing what? Win we need lose? to win. I don't think we're going to beat them, honestly. So you're choosing a loss. Oh, I'm yeah. Cho- no, Mark just reminded me. This is the game of the week. Oh, so we do have so to win. So game. I'll start it off. I'm going, with the, I'm going with the L. Okay. You're going with? Oh, God. I'm going with an L. So <laughs> Al and Mark so far have yeah, I'm, I'm taking I'm Magic are taking that out. And for you? I'm going with the win. I'm going with a win also. Uh so (laughs) so this is this is the last week for the month. Um I think I'm I'm in jeopardy of uh I'm in jeopardy of you and wait. Oh wow, okay. So we need to start playing. Wait and I wait and I are both in jeopardy of of, um you know earning the losers reward for the month. Uh but we both predicted a win, so if we win then and all of these guys lose, then we tie. Everyone ties we, for the month. We're gonna have to flip oh, yeah. a coin. Which means, <laughs> yeah, things will get really interesting. But um overall my final thoughts. Uh my final thoughts would be going into going into trade deadline. Um not necessarily make a splashy move because obviously that's not what this front office is about. Uh but make a move. Fill a gap. Bring in a score, whether veteran, whether young and affordable um, bring in somebody who who can shoot and create for himself, uh, and I, I'd be happy. My final thoughts are: is is a challenge to Alex Martin's. Let let's get you involved with this team more as far as bringing it to a championship level. Let's see a true commitment, not you know build up this uh, empire you're trying to do outside the Magic. We need you focused. We need you here. Uh, the community wants this team winning. We want this team winning. So the challenge is to him. Yeah, final thoughts for me, make a trade. Do it. Anything. I'll tell you, I'm desperate at this point. Give me anything. <laughs> Bring me some type of change. I don't care if it's a small trade, a medium trade, high trade. Don't care what it is. Bring me something. <laughs> Bring me new blood. My final thoughts is uh, this is for the Magic fans. Let's get, let's get out to these home games. Let's just support the Magic fan. Let's not have another Boston Celtics homestand where we are overrun by the away opposing team. Uh, we need to surround this team. You know, I've, I'm, this team needs us. Um, let's give them the support. You know, we're at the bottom half of this season. Um, it looks like we are going to make the playoffs, but nothing's still guaranteed. So look, I feel like the players really need uh, the fans, and that's going to elevate their game. And with that, I think uh, we got to lead the chant, and I want everybody who shows up to the Amway to pick it up where we leave off. 
That's it for us. Great episode. Peace. Peace out. Later. Deuces. Thank you for listening to the Ozone Podcast, the voice of Magic fans. Be sure to visit our website, theozonepod.com. And remember to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.